first heard Amy Grant uh, sing that song. I thought, what a powerful message. Beautiful the mess we are. Better than hallelujah. Sometimes God hears that honesty as we just worship Him because He knows us. Warts and all, He knows us. We're in Daniel chapter 8 this morning. Uh, we're going to be videos to start of services from here on out to remind us of the call of the missions offering to help our missionaries around the world. It's amazing to think that we literally share in sending the gospel all over the world through the mission offering. And so I encourage you to be in prayer about that. It gives us a, a chance to be part of the gospel moving out. And uh, it's quite a blessing. Sacred effort, one sacred effort. And our section of scripture today, as we look at prophecy, most of the prophecy that's here, it's like looking in the rearview mirror. In Daniel's moment, it had not occurred. But since then, a lot of this has occurred. But yet it's such a powerful testimony. Because when you look at what was predicted long, long ago, and then historically, you see how it's happened. It reminds you that the God who has caused it to happen is the God we can still trust. And the God that will cause the end as he describes it to occur. And there's one way out of the trouble ahead. And his name is Jesus. And, and of course, we want to look at that. But let's look at Daniel 8. I want to read uh, verses 1 through 4. And then I want to jump to the interpretation 15 to the end of the chapter. So I encourage you when you find Daniel chapter 8 to stand in our God's honor as I read from the text. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision. After the one that had already appeared to me, in my vision I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision I was beside the Uli Canal. I looked up, and there beside me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as he charged toward the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against him, and none could rescue from his great power. He did as he pleased and became great. And then starting at verse 15. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece. And the large horn between his eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. 
yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has given you is true, been given you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Let's pray. Master, as we approach you, open your word to us, Father. Your word clearly says that the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. We need to see your truth, Lord. That we may be inspired to aspire toward a close walk with the living God. And to sharing the message that has changed us to a world that hurts. That they might know you love them. So, Father, as we look at your truth, I pray you just inspire us, Father, to be yours. And that others might learn of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I go to the very last here. As he, The very last verse, it says that he was exhausted and he lay ill for several days. What happened to Daniel? What was so disconcerting to Daniel? What caused him to literally not be able to get out of bed? Have you ever been so worried about something that it tied? You know, I guess in the country, I don't know where this comes from, but I think some of you guys say it too. Your stomach gets tied up in knots. Well, I wouldn't say if took an x-ray, looked in there, and there'd be a bunch of knots in my stomach, but uh, literally tied. But, but there's that feeling of discontent. And, and Daniel had that feeling. He was exhausted. He was so worried he couldn't rest. It consumed his thoughts. Well, what was it about this vision? What was it about this prophecy that was so disconcerting? Well, let's start out here and march down through here. And I'll say a word about this as we move down through this vision. Uh, First, I want you to notice it says, In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision. And he mentions, after the one that had already appeared to me. So this is his second vision. Now, chapter 7, the previous chapter, it starts out, we learn when the first vision occurred. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. So it's two years later, after his first dream, after God gave his first revelation in the reign of Belshazzar the king. And and so here we are, two years later, Daniel receives another revelation from God. And and notice where he is. It says, In my vision I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, in the province of Elam. In the vision I was beside the Uli Canal. This was the capital city of that area. This was the prominent place. It would be the palace or to us the White House. It's, it's the capital building. And, and he's looking across from this canal and in this capital city. This very prestigious place of the day. The, the capital of the world. And it, as he looks he receives this vision. And he's upset with what he sees. What is it that crushes him? Well as the vision unfolds. He learns that his land. The land that he's in Babylon. Well, it's conquered. It's not a charge anymore. And a new world unfolds. Think about how disconcerting that would be for us. That would be like China or Russia taking over the world. And then you're sitting back and you're reading a history book about the United States. 
how the United States used to be a world power or, or a place, you know, that was a superpower called the shots, but, but that's history. So Daniel's upset. My world's about to turn upside down. Where I live, everything's about to vastly change. And so as he grabs this picture, it's, it's, it's impossible to understand fully all the emotions going inside of, of Daniel, all, all the turmoil as this becomes clear to him as God opens up this truth before him. And, and then, what did he see? Well, let's just look at it briefly. It says uh, in the vision, verse 4, or verse 3, I looked up and there before me was a ram with two horns. So here's this two-horned ram standing right there beside the canal. And it says the horns were long. One grew longer than the other, which grew later. He says, I watched as the ram charged toward the west and the north and the south. And then it says, no animal could stand against him. He was powerful. He became great. But he wasn't as powerful as he thought. Look at verse 5. It says, as I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. He came toward the two-horned ram. I had been standing beside the canal and charged at him in great rage. So this goat charges toward the ram in this great rage. Verse 7, I saw him attack the ram furiously, striking the ram, shattering the horns. The ram was powerless. This ram that was on top of the world, it was powerless to stand against him. And the goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him. And none could rescue the ram from his power. Verse 8, we read that this goat became very great. The height of his power, his large horn was broken off. In his place, four prominent horns grew up. Toward the four winds of heaven. Four winds of heaven literally speaks about how it encompassed the earth. It it affected the whole earth. Out of them came another horn, which started small. It grew in power to the south and the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens. And it threw some of the starry hosts down to earth, trampled on them. It set itself up to be great. As the prince of the host took away the daily sacrifice from him and the place of the sanctuary was brought low. (laughs) Because of rebellion, it says, the host of the saints, the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered everything it did. Truth was thrown to the ground. It says, then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to him, how long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation and the surrender of the sanctuary of the host that will be trampled underfoot. He said to me, it'll take 2,300 evenings and mornings and then the sanctuary will be reconstructed. So we come to the interpretation. That's just an overview of this vision. In the scripture here, we're given the interpretation. God gives us answers to these things. First, I think it's noteworthy in verse 14, if we jump in there, where he just doesn't say 2,300 days. He says 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be be reconstructed. Then the temple will be rebuilt. What is that talking about? It's, It's talking about the sacrificial system. There was sacrifices in the morning and sacrifices in the evening. And in that ancient time, the day actually started in the evening, not in the morning. But it's speaking about that twice a day sacrifice. 
to the living God that would come under attack. He, Daniel is trying to piece all this together. It's so confusing, this vision and all these pictures. And, and as it unfolds, and, and as we learn here, he, he's given help from Gabriel. Gabriel, the angel Gabriel. And every time that we find Abel appearing, four times he appears. He's the angel, the messenger of God. And each time he comes to the Jews and, and he reveals God's truth clearly and with power. And, and it's true here as well as, as he reveals this message. He fell prostrate. Daniel, he understood, man, this, this is no ordinary man. This is God's representative, his angel. Um, he says, this, um, while he was speaking to me, Daniel says, I was in a deep sleep, my face to the ground. He was totally humbled, to- totally exhausted. He, he, he touched me, raised me to my feet. And the angel said to him, I'm, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. But because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. So we're told here, like, like I said, a lot of this is historical But as we will see, although a lot of this has happened, which gives credence and proof that we can trust God as we look at his word, but there is also a section of it. This is a double prophecy. Although it speaks of what has occurred, it also is a foreshadow of what will occur. And we're going to look at that as we open up the scripture here as we go down through this interpretation. And as we see this, um, so let's, let's take a look here. He starts out, verse 20. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. Hey, that's where Daniel's living. When he receives that, Belshazzar, he's the, he's the leader of the Medes and the Persians. That's the most powerful place of the world. And it's about to become crushed. Everything is about to change. And, and then he moves on and he says, The shaggy goat is the king of Greece. And the large horn... Between the eyes is the first king. So he represents that this goat is Greece. And this first king is Alexander the Great. The goat moves with swiftness, with speed as we look at this. And and, and as we look at history, as we see Alexander the Great, he moved with speed in conquering the world. He, he, was a, he was a great conqueror. And stories were told of him. He got the best of his mommy and the best of his daddy. His mother was a princess. His daddy was a great thinker. He got the package deal. Story was told that there was this wild horse that no one could tame. He, he was able to tame that horse. And that was the steed he used as they went out to conquer the world. And, and, and he would become famous. As a matter of fact, his dad said to him, Son, seek out a kingdom worthy of you. Macedonia, it's too small a place for you. We'll talk about a cheerleader. His dad is moving him on. And yet, with all that power and with all that swift movement, the age of 32, he died young. Because although he conquered the world, he grew bored and he couldn't conquer alcoholism. And he literally drank himself to death. He ended up with malaria as his body weakened. But as he moved, this man, as he unified the kingdom of, through Greece and, and Hellenistic views, he, he came together and unified a people with a single currency. He came together and unified them with a single language that, that became prominent throughout the world. And this was a guy of, of power. It's amazing. There is a story in history 
that says at one point through his travels, he came to a priest, a man of the scriptures. And this man pulled out this book. And he showed to Alexander, he said, this is talking about you. And, and it, it says that Alexander fell to his knees. He was humbled. As he looked at that and said, me? Then it speaks of his death. As this horn is torn off of the goat, that is a sign of his death. And the four horns that come up, well, that's his four generals as they come to power. Verse 22, it says, The four horns that replace the one that was broken represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. Those four generals, uh, Lysimachus, Cassander, Seleucus, Ptolemy. Matter of fact, I put the pronunciation down here because I said, I can't do it. You know, like that one preacher said, why do you say it? Hard word, hard word. He said, I get to that, that's just all. But anyway, I, I cheated a little bit, got that pronunciation in there. Uh, Lysimachus uh, received Asia Minor. Cassander obtained Macedonia and Greece. Ptolemy was given Egypt, Palestine, Cilicia, Petrus, Cyprus. While Seleucus controlled the rest of Asia, Syria, Babylon, Persia. Seleucus, he ruled a place and it became known as the Seleucian dynasty. And this general, this ruler hated the Jews with a passion. He was known for his anti-Semitism. He went into the temple of God, the holy place, and he took a, he took a pig and he, he slit its throat and he, he, he put blood all over the walls and all over the altar. And, and on the holy days, he would bring prostitutes in, into the temple as a sign against God and as a sign against the, the temple and the ways of God. And he took the holy books and, and he burned those holy books it was a terrible time. Uh, in the book of First and Second Maccabees of the Apocrypha, not, not in our scriptures, but the Apocrypha, we read about Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, this leader. It says uh, that his rule lasted, those 2,300 sacrifices, 1,150 days. And it ended in... December of 165 B.C. when the temple was restored. Some stories about how horrible this guy was. It says that there there could not be circumcision of the baby boys. And two moms decided they were going to follow God and have their babies circumcised. He, He took these babies and he murdered them. And then he tied them around the mother's necks and forced these women... These broken-hearted moms to walk up to the top of the wall and then push them off the wall to their deaths. Then there's another story in in that section too that talks about this lady who had seven sons who was fighting, leading a rebellion against this evil tyrant. And in that process, his seven her seven sons were captured, and and he cut out their tongues, and he literally had her watch as they were burned to death, and and then he burned her to death. This this guy was a a guy, as it's described here, evil. Notice as the scripture goes on, and it talks about in verse 23, in the latter part of their reign, the rebels have become completely wicked. A stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. 
Man, this guy, he was, he was wicked. But it's not simply talking about him. As we've looked at history, now we're moving on to what will occur. As I said, this is a double prophecy. And now the scripture speaks not merely of what has occurred, but it is a reference here to the Antichrist, to the beast, to the one who will come. And notice in this reference, the latter part of their reign, rebels become completely wicked, stern-faced king, a master of intrigue will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. As we looked at last time, it was not merely by his power, but by the power of the devil. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. Just like Antiochus Epiphanes seemed to succeed for that time till he was overcome and the temple was restored. So this one will appear to succeed in every way. Verse 25, it says, He will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, they will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed not by human power. He will be defeated, but not by human power. It made me think, you go back up to verse 13 to chapter 8. It says, Then I heard a holy one speaking. How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice. The rebellion that causes desolation. Does that sound familiar? It turned me to Matthew 24. Um, I just have to look and see it's 12. Remember this uh, one time we were preaching years ago. And these dear ladies that we love. She had alarm clock in her purse to go off at 12. I don't want to give y'all any ideas. That thing went off. So anyway. All right. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus is talking about signs of the end times here. And, and in verse 15, he says, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel... Let the reader understand. Talking about that time. And it goes on and and it talks about what a horrible time this is going to be. Because there's going to be an intense suffering um, as it goes down through through that chapter. And and, and you may want to read that sometime to to, to catch a picture of that. And it's interesting. As we look at the scriptures, a couple of, of, of lessons as I come to the end here. First, it's amazing as you look at the accuracy of how prophecy has been fulfilled historically that reminds us how trustworthy Prosper is of what is yet to come. The end time that is around the corner that we can trust God's word. Secondly, um, just the hope that through Jesus we're rescued and what is going to occur, he will rescue us. Um, Chapter 24 I want to uh, uh, look down here um, near the end of the chapter as as it talks about the days unknown. Verse uh, 40. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. In uh, Revelation 3, turn there with me real quick. Uh, there's a reference to one of the churches. 
that provides hope to a walk with Jesus rescuing us in those end times. In the letter to Philadelphia, Revelation 3, verse 10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. And there are those who believe that's referring to the fact that we will not be in that time of testing. One will remain, one will return. That's talking about the rapture, guys. It's talking about being ready for Christ to take us out of here. And and this comes to the, the crux of the matter. Um, we have a security in Christ. That He is our salvation. That He is our deliverer. That He is our rescuer. But we're not called to just sit and be fat and happy. We have a calling to say that other people can be rescued as well. That the Deliverer loves them just like He loves us. And that we have a, a call to live Christ and to love people and to let them know that Jesus died on a cross for them. That this message of hope that we have is not just something we're securing in, but something others can know. Something others can experience. And as I come to the end of this, as we look at how prophecy has been fulfilled, we can rest in the Lord as he has securely fulfilled his word, that his word is also secure in saying that when we find Christ, we're safe. But other people need to hear that. It needs to be the heartbeat. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we've taken time to look at your word, to unfold your word, Father, pray the Holy Spirit has given us understanding Father, may we be encouraged. But, Father, may we also see the truth. There's a lot of people around us who have missed your grace, who don't see you, who don't love you. And, Father, I pray that you open our hearts, that we may see our role in carrying that message. We don't carry it in with a hammer. We don't cut people's heads off like they do in some religions. But we do come with a message that is true. Not to be ignored. Because we're all going to die one day. And we all will face you one day. And Father, at that moment when we pass the portal of this life to the next. There's not some waiting room until we get it right. So I pray that you open our hearts. And not just ours. We all have people that need to hear Jesus loves them we all have people whose hearts and ears are closed and father i pray that you would open them we want to see people trust you as savior and lord and so father may you just do that so that you might shine so that we might brag on you throughout bristol lord and that we might say look what jesus is doing look at the lives he is changing and transforming Master, may you have your way. So as we look at what has occurred, may we place our trust in a God who's still working, and may others see that. In Christ's name we pray.